Hello, welcome back to episode number 71 of Creative Chit Chat Podcast. I'm Ryan McLeod and this week I'm joined by Sakai Machachi. I really hope that's how you say her second name. I'm sorry Sakai, I forgot that wrong. I really should have checked, sorry. But yeah, she is a multidisciplinary artist um, based in Dundee. And she, I mean, she does, she works in a whole different mode um, of medium, uh, but predominantly she takes um, some amazing photography, um, really dark and sort of subject matter and uh, aesthetics. And so sort of it's a studio set up and she just has enough light to sort of pick out um, the elements and the objects that she has. And her subjects are always really um, very dark and very carefully lit. Um, she also uses herself um, and sort of explores the notion of self quite a lot in her work. Um, and we, we get into that and, and talk about how that works, actually for t- photographing yourself and sort of collaborating with people to facilitate that and when they become a collaborator and when they're assistant um, and all the sort of complexities around that. Um, Sky also goes into the sort of complexities of being a, a black artist in Scotland um, and a black women in Scotland as well um, and yeah we, we sort of talk about how um, she feels it's important that to, to get a big break to, to have a big project that really puts you on the sort of um, national and global stage as an artist that, that can help lift you and help you actually sustain that career because um, it's definitely not uh, an easy uh, profession um, especially in the sort of economic climate and we sort of go into that as well but yeah, um, I suppose something quite important happened last week that I should probably talk about. Um, Friday night, I'm sure a few of you saw it. Um, the v has now opened its doors um, and you can just wander in, which is amazing. Um, if you haven't been already, um, just stop what you're doing right now and go, assuming it's open. And yeah, I mean, it's it just, I'm blown away by the, the, the space and the building and the fact that it, it's sort of ours as a sort of resident of Dundee and that we, we sort of have that calibre of, of building and space within the city. I think it's phenomenal. I think we're very privileged and lucky to have it. And I hope that, that now we've sort of reached this opening point that we start to see all these things that we've been talking about on the podcast and, and sort of elsewhere that they actually do come to fruition, that we see all the benefits um, and that sort of spreads throughout the city and we see that across everywhere that, that, that there are real um, notifiable benefits from the from the museum opening. But, I mean, I think also conversely, um, we have to take the good with the bad. I think that there are going to be downsides to it. Like, it's going to get busier, there's going to be more traffic, more people, more coaches driving about. I think... It, um, inevitably people are going to have a moan about that right but um, I think overall we've got to take the take the good with the bad and think that this that that is, is the overriding thing that we have this amazing museum and that hopefully um, everything that comes from that is, is an overriding positive which I, I'm sure it will be but yeah I just, I'm, I just wanted to sort of touch on that especially because it's come up so often in the podcast I felt it was important um, just to sort of get my thoughts out there um, in the opening week but yeah um, if you don't already or you're new to the podcast um, you can find us on social media so it's at cccdundee on twitter and on instagram and it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cccdundee um, and on there you can keep up to date with everything podcast everything podcast that's nonsense everything about the creative chit chat podcast yeah it's been a long week Anyway, let's get into episode number 71, and this is with Sakai Chachi. Um, yeah, so I'm, I could probably start from quite early on. I would say, like, I've always been a creative person. Um, when I was, like, quite young, I used to write short stories and poems and things like that, and I was always interested in putting my thoughts down on paper. I did want to be a writer <laughs> for years, um, but my my father was quite strict about like you know if you want if you have a dream then this is you have to figure out how you're gonna like accomplish it so he would be like okay so every month I want you to write a short story <laughs> and he kind of made me um, not really want to do it because he was like you know that thing of um, 
everyone hates a deadline, really. So, like, once I realised that writing on a regular basis would be like that, I was like, nah, <laughs> I don't really want to do that anymore. So then I started uh, drawing, and I really enjoyed drawing. There was, like, no real... I didn't really think there was any way anybody could take what I was doing and, like, you know, put it restrict it in any way. So I was, like, just doing that whenever I felt like. And um, I started off with portraits. And I would say, like, I, I did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of drawings until I got to a point where I thought, oh, I'm actually getting good at this. <laughs> and then I obviously I studied, like, art in school and then in, in high school and then... And then and then I went to art school after that. And so I applied for Duncan of Jordanston in, God, I think it was so long ago now, 2008, <laughs> I got in. <laughs> so I came up to Dundee from Glasgow, because I'm from Glasgow originally. And um, I immediately like went into the general course at the art school and just was in my element. But it was really tough. The first year in that art school is tough, because like, they kind of make you do um, work by by brief like every single week um, and you're just you're just sort of like thrown in at the deep end and it's nine to five as well and I, I remember not having a lot of money because you know there was a financial crisis just as I went into art school <laughs> and uh, so I didn't really have that much like financial backing apart from obviously SAS so um, I would like sort of have to work as well so I remember doing nine to four at art school and then going to um the Tesco call center and doing like a five to ten shift so I was like really like in at the deep end like working really really hard in first year and second year um and I was gravitating more towards photography all of a sudden just realized that um so what did you what did you specialize in it was basically I went into to the general course and then um and then I went into fine art in my second year and, and fine art is anything really um that is considered to be traditional art um medium so um obviously you can do painting photography sculpture etc but um I gravitated more towards photography because I was using I was using the photographs as a basis to make art uh, to make paintings and then the photographs were good <laughs> So it was almost like the, the, the beginning of the work ended up being the work. Um, so I ended up uh, kind of wrestling with myself and a little bit with my tutors and stuff about that because I wanted to still paint. I still have this urge to paint so much. Um, so why, why don't you? Um, I think it's, you know, like at a certain point, if you've been doing something for a certain amount of time, that's how people kind of see you they see you now as, a, as that thing so you're now a photographer Um, I've always uh, used the title multidisciplinary artist because I don't want to be kind of pigeonholed to any one thing I also do performance in my work and um, I'm moving towards video and as well so I feel as if it would be a little bit limiting for me to um, to be considered just a photographer but I think photographer is also an amazing title to have as well so um, the work that I was making in, in art school was um, it was quite dark and it was quite um, I suppose what I was trying to look at at the time was um, it was it was sort of looking at this space between sleeping and waking called the hypnagogic state which um, is where people um, have certain experiences like um, lucid dreaming and things like that which I just think is a really interesting subject and um, I'm someone that suffered with insomnia and sleep paralysis since I was really young so um, it's a strange thing to experience and so I thought that's obviously what my work was going to gravitate towards so then you end up with this dark work because um, I suppose that's where um, the subject matter is coming from um, at the basis of it and the work that I was I was making was um, using myself as a model because I was looking at um, the notion of self and uh, the notion of the divided self as well and shad shadow self. Um, and that's got to make the photographic process of that a lot more difficult by you being in those photographs. Yeah, it's... Do you know, I remember like just times where I would be in the production studio by myself, like painting myself because I also use body paint in the work 
and I paint myself with black paint and then setting up, well, probably had to start setting up the lighting first, so set up the lighting first, paint myself and then, yeah, like using, um, what's it called again? The, <laughs> the remote release and like just that's the only way that you can really do it without actually asking someone to help you. Um, and so, yeah, for my most recent projects, I have actually just had help with, with taking the photographs because um, they've become a bit more ambitious and they're, the things that I've been doing are almost impossible for me to just do by myself. So when you when you say help, mm-hmm. are you bringing in a photographer or are you just bringing in, like, I, I don't know, like an assistant to, yeah, to press the button? basically like an assistant to uh, press the button. So you still control the all the sort of the, the functions of the camera so you're still mm-hmm. controlling the shutter speed and the yeah, definitely. setting the aperture and everything there, else. there was like one project which my shabby project that I did for my uh, master's degree show where I actually did it as a collaborative project with my friend Brindis and so she's also a photographer so that actually became more of a collaboration rather than um, someone coming in as an assistant so and how did that change the the dynamic of the the work by bringing in someone with that sort of knowledge it was just one of those situations where you know someone's really good at what they do and you you need I needed that help because when um when I'm in, in those images I'm myself and then I'm myself again there's it's a um almost like two versions of me and uh in order to to make them happen um you need someone to be able to eye where you should be in order to interact with yourself. So it, it was imperative that I had someone who had like good skill and a good eye to do that. But that didn't that experience didn't make you think, oh well, maybe I should just always get a photographer. Um, no, I feel like I'm a photographer like as well. So I don't want to. Um, it does take away a little bit of like that that you know feeling of like I I did this. Um, but then working with someone else in a collaborative. Um, sort of manner as well is also really um, something that I think everybody should try. Um, I've been doing a lot of more collaborative work recently with um, the collective that I'm part of, Yon Afro Collective. So um, if you can work well with people, then then it's definitely something that you should do because sometimes doing all, all of it on your own can be quite, <laughs> uh, I don't know, like staggering. <laughs> yeah, and I think yeah. you... you you can produce far better work mm-hmm. if you're taking on the, the skills and knowledge and understanding of other people at the same yeah, time. Definitely. But I think the, the difficulty in collaborations can often be where to, to take ownership of certain elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's where it's good when, I mean, I find the best collaborations are when I'm, I'm working with someone who has a completely different skill set mm-hmm. and they will bring a, a, a level of something that I've just never experienced or, or had before or could add to the work. Yeah. And then I can add something, they add something. But then mm-hmm. it's more difficult when you're collaborating with someone with the same skill set. With the same skill set, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, then you're sort of like, oh, well, I maybe wouldn't have done it like that. or mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of interesting. It's difficult to draw that line yeah. and where... And I think it's, for me, I, I felt like I was... Um, I was acting in in that that um, in that piece as the person who had uh, produced the, the the conceptual basis of the work, and so um, I knew exactly what I wanted, and I knew how I wanted it to look, and so I felt like I was kind of on, I was working as a sort of art director in that in that in a sense. So therefore, like when I was looking at back at the images, I was able to say, okay, I think this one works. I don't think that one works, and so it's. Um, but I think in future I, I I do I do want to have more work where I have more ownership of it. Um, I recently did a project with um, one of my friends, uh, Karis, working as a, an assistant, and it was like she helped me to uh, put body paint on the model because this time I wasn't um, it wasn't myself that was uh, working on it. Um, and yeah, so like she helped me to put the body paint on, and then like she was running around like you know dealing with lighting and stuff like that whenever I want I needed things changed, and I was just a photographer all of a sudden. I was like, oh my god, this is completely different when I'm not photographing myself. In a in a good way. Um, in an amazing way because I realised that I had all the control there, and I actually could really see what it was I was trying to, um, trying to do, and. The reason why I actually was using myself as a model initially was just because um, I wanted my work to um, to have the black figure in it at all times, and I wanted I did want it to be about the self, but I also was interested in um, in, in black women in in art and how their um, our bodies are sort of like used in art art in general. So um, 
I just didn't know any other black women for years. <laughs> and, um, which is just uh, strange. But Dundee doesn't like have that huge a population of, of black people. And I think maybe I just isolated myself a little bit. And I realised that um, I don't need to do that anymore and I didn't need to do it then. Um, but um, now that I'm in a collective which is uh, led by black women and for women of colour and non-binary people of colour. So um, just to go back to that a little bit, mm-hmm. um, what do you think it was that led to that, that isolation? Oh, I, f- I feel it's like one of those things that um, most, uh, I would say, I'm going to speak for myself as a black woman, but most black women in Scotland, um, myself included, but most of the people that I've spoken to have felt that isolation. Um, and it's, I think it's to do with like just not having like a, a, a large community um, to fall back on at all times um, and only really finding each other um, like f- very sparsely if you get what I mean and when I grew up in Glasgow I didn't have any like any black people who weren't in my family <laughs> um, around me and uh, yeah so I feel like that's informed my work as well and informed the way that I think about like um, the way that we're seen in this in this country as well um, I would say that like Scotland is definitely not a terribly racist place, but there are obviously like we we are you know black, so there's obviously going to be certain stigmas put onto us and people looking at us in certain ways. And I wanted to comment on that in 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 art in general because it's very rare for for black women to be depicted in Scottish art. And I see myself as a Scottish artist, so <laughs> I felt it was imperative that I bring the black woman figure into into art as much as I can. And so do you think that, I mean, it's just because, I mean, why do you think that that is the case about Scottish art? Is it be- just purely because of the demographic of the country? I think it's the demographic and maybe subject matter as well. I think most um, most artists who don't have the experience of racism or don't have the experience of being other don't see necessarily the reason to um, specifically place um, a black body into work. Um, I, one of my like most, insp- like one of the artists that inspires me the most is Kerry James Marshall. Um, and he's from America, and so of course the the racial tensions there are completely different. Um, he's obviously experienced things that I don't think I could ever imagine experiencing. Um, but he he stated at a very young age that he was never going to um, have a white figure in his work because he was um, it was imperative that the black figure be put into um, into Western art in general. And I feel as if, as a Scottish artist, I'm sort of almost doing that um, within the context of the, the the culture and the society that I, I live in. Because, I, I mean, the, the nature of of art, do you feel that there is a, a, a misrepresentation of the of the population, of the, of the people of Scotland by it being dominated by white figures? Um, not necessarily. I think it's actually just that... Um, the visibility of of black artists hasn't been there for a very long time. Things are obviously getting much better, and like that's why we kind of formed our collective as well. We're not an an art collective. We're a collective of of um, black women and um, women of color, who are most of us are creatives, or most of us are interested in art and media and things like that. But um, we sort of created it to create a support system around ourselves and what and the work that we do um and this is just it's for me it's kind of unprecedented because i was the only black person that i'm like you know in the art school for years um in dundee and then glasgow art school now has a um a, a poc um a, a society um and they've they've got a lot of like they've got a lot of young people of color who are actually making art and who are kind of pushing like and challenging um institutions to to show our work and to and to give it as much space as um as the work of um everybody else i feel it's it's just one of those things that is actually just getting better and better all the time and i'm quite excited about this time that we're in 
where um, I'm seeing more and more people that look like me making great things. So let's go back to the to university. Um, you sort of got to the point at which you were at degree show. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you said you're obviously taking photographs. Yeah. What did that end product? What did your degree show actually? My undergraduate degree show uh, that was in 2012, and the work was um, a series called Eigengrau, which um, Eigengrau is a German word meaning intrinsic light, the light that you see. Um, in complete darkness so like whatever it is that that greyness that is behind your eyes um, in darkness and um, that that series was yeah again very dark very uh, kind of creepy and I had that in a space where there was also um, there was also a bed an installation of a bed that had um, not like Tracy Emmons one <laughs> very different bed um, with a projection of a, a restless sleeper um, on it as well and there was um, a couple of other piece, like photography pieces in there as well um, they were a part of a series called In the Moment of Waking and another series called Visions of Half Sleep so I basically threw in <laughs> three different series of work and an installation <laughs> and they were like I think it was one of those situations where the art school was like okay you you could have just like you know put <laughs> any one of these in and I was just like no they all have to sit together because for me they were part of a, a a larger story about um about dream and sleep and insomnia and and sleep paralysis and all of these things yeah and so after your after your degree show mm-hmm. um why why go on to a master's and why stay in Dundee why why did I do that? Um, no, I went back to Glasgow for a couple of months, actually, um, trying to make a decision. And I had applied for the um, Masters of uh, Fine Art course. And um, I had a choice of go and work in a bank or come back to Dundee, um, get a part-time job in a, a phone shop and... Uh, <laughs> and do a master's and I just was like, it, I, def, I genuinely had a crossroads moment and I had to like make a decision about what I wanted to do. Um, so I chose the, the master's and I think I obviously, I definitely made the right decision, but I did a year of a part-time master's and then um, I was supposed to go into the second year and I just didn't feel like it was the right fit for me, that, that specific master's, it was, um, by that time, the course had changed to art society and publics, and it was more about kind of um, public art and uh, uh, curation, which isn't actually necessarily. I'm, I am doing a lot of curation now, <laughs> but it wasn't at the time what I was interested in doing. Um, so then I took a year out, and then I went back um, to do the Masters of Fine Art and Humanities course, and I was studying philosophy as well with that. So I, that was the, perfect for me because it's. It's where all of my interest lies, really. And so your your body of work for that um, end of your show, mm-hmm. um, you want to talk a little bit about, about your output for that? Yeah, um, so that was the collaborative piece, um, Mishavi. And um, so Mishavi is sort of uh, based on this um, this Shona concept because I'm, I'm from Zimbabwe originally and um, Shona is the ethnic group that I, I belong to. And um, Mishavi basically refers to these um these spirits of people who have uh, basically passed away um away from the village away from home um and are sort of lost and wandering um or people who were not given the correct burial rights and so they're kind of almost exiled from the ancestral realm that they're supposed to reside in so they kind of just bug the living <laughs> they're just there um and they kind of have this uh, capacity to um, offer like gifts. And so I would say like if, for example, uh, someone had died and they'd been an, a great artist and then they become a, a Shavi, they could um, they could have actually given me the gift of being an artist by uh, sort of almost latching themselves onto me. Um, and it's just a, it's an idea that um, scares me slightly <laughs> but also that I want I was kind of trying to like uncover these sort of um pre-colonial African spiritual ideas um and and I was sort of yeah kind of poking at the at the idea of like having this kind of entity that that is kind of 
there, but not quite there. Um, and I played the character of the Shavi in the piece and also, also myself. And an interesting part of the work is that I'd done a dissertation in, from un undergraduate called um, Blackness in Contemporary Art, and I was looking at whether or not being a black artist is like a hindering factor of um, whether you become successful or not. And um, the, <laughs> the work was kind of an illustration of my dissertation, if you understand what I mean. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was sort of sitting at a desk, um, painstakingly reading through all of these uh, contemporary uh, African art books. And then there was this entity that was kind of there, um, almost kind of, I don't know, yeah, taunting me, I would say. <laughs> so, yeah. But again, I mean, the, the photographic style of the mm -hmm. work is, I mean, it definitely seems to be a, I mean, you ha you have a, a style that runs through all your photographic mm. work. Yeah, that is very dark, <laughs> um, but beautifully composed, and the lighting is just just enough to pick out the details. Um, but I mean, was is that purely down to the subject matter, or like where where does that style come from? And it seems yeah. to be one that's sort of continued on in your work as well. I feel like it's continued on because I I really like the way that I like the idea of. Um, whatever it is that I'm trying to like bring forward um, I like the idea that it's coming out of it's kind of almost emerging out of darkness it's it's something that I'm making visible that was otherwise invisible so um, I feel like it almost continues to make sense to, to, to work like that I've tried using different styles to, to make my work and it just doesn't for me it doesn't tell the story as well and you think so that you think that will be a style that you will continue to use going forward? Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's it's my kind of I'm starting to actually really build like a a signature. So I feel like I want to continue to use that. So post graduation, mm -hmm. um, you finish university. Um, what happens then? How do you go on to sustain a career as a as an artist? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I'm currently on uh, the alumni residency um, program at Duncan of Jordanston, so I'm not really gone. I'm still there. <laughs> I'm like a constant fixture of that place now. So, so um, how does how does that that work? Um, the residency program is basically for any um, previous students, any graduates of the art school, um, that want to sort of continue having a relationship with the art school, where they can there there are artists in residence. So they can um, use the facilities in the art school, um, but they can also provide teaching and, um, and sort of workshops and things like that for the students. So I think it's like one, like only really one or two days a semester to, to like kind of give a little bit of help to the, to, the, um, to the staff of the specific program you're on. So I'm kind of um, part of the fine art um, teaching um, staff, but as a, an associate staff member. Um, so I do have the opportunity to do some teaching uh, this year and also to run some workshops as well. So I'm thinking about doing some workshops on uh, different like alternative lighting conditions that you can use for photography, because obviously my work isn't your traditional or, you know, more predictable ways of of uh, of shooting um, in the studio. And then um, also the, the programme, again, gives you the facilities. So I get access to a massive production studio where I can make my work. So it's very good. <laughs> um, so that's like one way that like having access to um, to space like that and having a, a continued relationship with the art school is a f one of the ways that you make it sustainable, I think. And, and then, is, is that a funded position or is it purely? No, no, it's not funded. But the, I mean, they're having conversations about that because obviously it is very difficult. You have to figure out how to juggle like your life and your, your ordinary like day-to-day -day living with like your practice. And I actually, I did spend quite a few years after my, um, my master's, I was running a British Red Cross shop. In fact, I was running two British Red Cross shops for about a year. Um, and it was it's just when you you go into something because yeah um, and one side I feel like I was a bit too scared to go down the self-employed route and try to like make my my work sustainable um, and I just didn't have any money after art school so I just needed to like kind of build myself back up again and 
so I spent about a year doing that and then I was actually working at Outplay um, Entertainment as a receptionist and I was doing a lot of like sort of uh, office managerial stuff alongside that and events management stuff as well so it was very like that was a really intense job as well but it was I actually really enjoyed it it was very rewarding and then I got this opportunity to do a project um, which was a British Council funded project which I'll sort of explain a wee bit um, and yeah I, I left my job <laughs> I left my full time job to go and be an artist but I, I feel like most people won't get an opportunity like that to just go off and do the thing that they want to do. Um, so making it sustainable is things like just having the having the the will to like keep trying and to like find if you've got a full time job or you've you've really got to find the time. So it's more about time than anything else. Um, using weekends, using evenings, like um, collaborating with people. Um, asking for help, asking for resources that can help you to keep going um, and then also learning like what it means to be self-employed learning all of that kind of you know how to fill out a tax return and all of those things which I'm still figuring out now <laughs> and then um, I think the biggest thing that I'm trying to work out now is um, how to yeah how to make my work sustainable in the financial side of it like because um, I'm not a designer, so I'm not like selling any um, a specific product. I'm selling a a body of art or like a an art practice that's quite um, is very specific and quite personal. And so it's just it's just about trying to make sure that um, I apply for awards and apply for um, for funding and exhibition opportunities, so that people keep seeing my work and then can maybe start giving me money. <laughs> 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 yeah so i mean as a as a contemporary scottish artist mm -hmm. i mean are the are those the routes to making money is is finding pots of, of funding and applying for yeah for things finding pots of funding but i mean there's a bit of a funding crisis in the entire like global art market at the moment scotland's no different than any other country in, in that respect um but there have been a lot of like issues with people trying to figure out like how how they're going to do it everyone's vying for the same pots of money and so if you're lucky enough to get something then usually because you've actually managed to get something you get more things from that because people then see your work you become visible enough for people to um to give you the, the kind of push towards um becoming a more sustainable um art artist basically so it's like your cliched that's your big break if you like yeah yeah and and in some ways it's like it's a bit of a shame because obviously not everyone can have that. But um, when you do have it, you've got to like really hold on to it and, and make it work for you mm. um, so that you can get more projects and keep on going. So, so let's talk about what that was for mm -hmm. you then, that the, yeah. the British Council project. So, um, yeah, so I'm basically doing a project titled Body of Land. Um, it's a British Council funded project. It's British Council um, East Africa Arts and it's a program uh, called um, New Art New Audiences and um, it's basically produced and facilitated by Focast Scotland which is an, a platform for um, for emerging photographers and that's based in Scotland so um, how it sort of came about for me was that um, I had applied for the Jill Todd Award and the Jill Todd Award is an amazing award for like um, um for young um graduates who especially are working in photography. Uh, it offers them the opportunity to make new work because a lot of the thing the time, you know, you come out of art school and then you just you want to make new work, but you're having to do your full time job or you're you know what I mean you're kind of not got the time, but the award kind of pushes you to make new work to apply for it so that um you're not just putting work in from like your degree show or something like that. So I applied for that and then I got a commendation in 2015 for it and my work was shown at Stills Gallery, um, which was amazing because I never thought like my work was going to end up in Stills because that's like, one of the biggest photography spaces in Scotland. Um, and uh, one of the members of Focus Scotland, um, Arpita Shah, saw the work at uh, at Stills and was she really liked it. it was um, And then she sort of... Um, came to she approached me to apply for an open call that they were doing 
for a project which was actually going to be in India. Um, but it was it was a kind of a collaboration between um, artists from Scotland and artists from India. And I think it was six artists from each place. Um, I didn't actually, I was ended up sh- shortlisted for it. Um, and then I had my work shown at Anlanter um, Gallery and then also um, in New Delhi as well. So that was like amazing. Just from being shortlisted, my work has been shown in New Delhi in India. So that's pretty cool. And then about two months later, um, Arpita was like, uh, do you want to like have a Skype call with me? I've got a project proposal for you. And she proposed this amazing opportunity to collaborate with an artist from Kenya. Um, So the collaborator is called Awar Onyango. And um, the project was basically about like um, about contemporary African um, womanhood and femininity and um, and African spirituality. And it was trying to sort of um, have this sort of cross-cultural exchange between a Scottish artist and a, a, a Kenyan artist. And um, so I ended up, um, yeah, I said, of course, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and then she um, she then had to go for the funding. So it wasn't like the, the it wasn't guaranteed when she offered it. Um, so just like sitting like fingers and toes crossed for it. And then a couple of months later, they got the Nana grant, the New York New Ordinances grant from uh, British Council. And then that's where it kind of um, started. And in January of this year, we sort of started the project. And then I went over to, to Nairobi for a month in May. And I met with um, Awar and we sort of like, yeah, we had some conversations about what kind of work we wanted to make. Um, I did about, I think I did like 60 or 60 to 70 drawings. But like the drawings were kind of just for me to kind of think through my ideas um, because I don't actually write my ideas down. They're in my head. <laughs> so I kind of was using the drawings as a sort of way for me to like think through like different ways of thinking. Um, and then I came back from Nairobi and I've been sort of like doing some research and development on the project and then this month she's going to be coming over I think on the 5th of September hours coming from Kenya to to do the the second part of it which is going to be some photography work at street level photo works in Glasgow um, and then the work should be displayed at street level at some point next year and then also in Kenya at the same time so it's very very exciting project and because it's British Council backed as well it's very like it, for me it's a huge deal I think it's one of those things that like a lot of artists are are hoping would happen to them so I'm quite excited about it and is that um sort of indicative of the process that you would use on any any project are there set ways that you go about actually producing work well I mean I was quite fortunate because um I could have applied for the new art new audiences grant like myself um but I would have had to have, if I'd got it I would have had to have been producing the entire thing um, on my own so I've actually got the um, Focus Scotland behind me like creating the the platform for me to actually do this so um, I was very fortunate that someone else like did all is doing all of the kind of that the admin and the, the heavy lifting and I'm just there to make my work and but in terms of the actual so the creative process mm-hmm. behind the creation of the work mm-hmm. um, you said that yeah you don't tend to write things down you, you oh no works. yeah I don't I don't write things down. I I write in relation to my work, if you understand what I mean. I write sometimes after the work is made, I kind of write these sort of like po- poem type things. They're not poems, but they're like little pieces of writing that accompany the the work. Um but I don't write down the idea or the vision that I have in my head. The vision that I have in my head is just there and I make it so like right now I have this very clear picture in my head of what I'm doing in the next two weeks for the body of land project and um I, I can't even explain it to people so yeah so I suppose um on on any project do you have like a a specific like a set creative process that you actually go through every time or is it completely different with every project or how how does that work um, yeah, sometimes I have an idea, like um, I have an idea about something that I want to like, I want to create and you, usually the project will be a photographic one. So um, I already know that I'm, the medium I'm going to use is photography. And um, 
I'll do, I'll do a lot of research on the idea itself and kind of get a, a bit of a stronger um, grounding of it, but I don't write down the imagery because I don't really know how I would describe the things that I've got in my head when I'm making these things. Um, but I do know what I'm going to use, like material-wise. So, for example, like I, I use body paint a lot of my work in my work. So, color, like which color of body paint am I going to use? Am I going to be painted in this work? Um, if there is color in it, like what will will that constitute? For example, I've got a piece, a series called Musoro, and I I'm not painted in it. Um, but I have a bright red, uh, um, sort of red braided hair that um, is like a huge, it's sort of like something that has been used in a project um, that I did for the On Afro um, exhibition at Glasgow International that we did in uh, February, uh, sorry, in April. Um, so that red braid got sort of taken out of those photographs and brought into like the the installation work that went into there. So it's it's more the the idea, the concept, um, and a lot of research behind that idea and that concept. But then I don't write down what that image is going to look like. And I don't draw, um, you know, some people will do kind of, they'll, they'll draw out like a plan for exactly how it's going to be shot. I don't do that. I just... I hold an image in my head and I sometimes hold it for months. You feel that like, sometimes art can be seen as, as quite in, inaccessible. Um, do you feel that your work uh, as an artist is accessible? Yeah, I think it is because I try to like use, I like my language, the, the language that is associated with the art to be quite, um, yeah, quite easy to kind of, unpick and pack and unpick and I feel like sometimes you it's not actually the artwork itself it's sometimes the explanation of the artwork that makes it so inaccessible for people um, I try to um, think through like an idea for myself because I feel like almost like artists want you to know all of the research that they've done and all of this like kind of they kind of just pontificate a lot about things that are like very philosophical in content and I think there is a lot of philosophical content in my work but um, the general viewer is not going to like really um, feel that that is for them. And when people do want to know about those things, I can have those conversations with the people who actually, you know, they have that language um, in their vocabulary and they, they know um, the sort of concepts I'm looking at. So like if I say, for example, um, the work is a deep interrogation of the notion of self, that can seem maybe to someone a little bit like, okay, so what, what is the notion of self? And then I can go into a conversation about that because it's not as if I've, I've it's not like I've like taken a lot of like huge philosophical ideas. So it's just one of those ways that I, I feel like um, I want people to first look at the work and to like, to, to tell me what they think and feel about the image first and I want the image to speak more directly to the to the viewer um, and then the text is there if they want to go through it if they are listen if they want to, to read it that's there for them um, but I'm not going to con sort of convolute it too much with uh, heavy jargon and in the work that you produce is there always a sort of set of goals or a purpose that you want it to fulfill um, often yes like I mean for me I, sometimes it's quite personal like sometimes I'm working through stuff it's like almost self-therapy in some ways so um, the project Misoro was like kind of me um, working through grief and so that was a very difficult project to make and a very difficult project to talk about and to have displayed it at, at GI was amazing but then when I was asked questions about it I couldn't really articulate myself very well in relation to it because of what the content being the content doesn't immediately say grief to people but um the deeper reason is that it's um it, it's based on uh, as kind of shauna concept of of like um grief being represented by the color red um and then uh musoro meaning head and then the the head being covered like an obscure covering of the of the head and it's about like you know shrouding yourself and 
um, basically staying in a in a kind of space where you can't you don't really want to move you don't really want to move past because then you you're worried about forgetting and things like that so um yeah I feel as if that's something that um a lot of the time is me working through things and then sometimes it's me trying to like make a deeper point about something else and there's obviously examples of both um in lots of in all all the different um series that I've done but I mean your work there are a lot of themes of of self and reflection and sort of mm-hmm. uh, being introspective. Um, why do you think that is? Um, I think it's. I think I was just a really introspective child, and I spent a lot of time thinking, and I still spend a lot of time thinking. I really genuinely prefer to be by myself, reading or listening to a, an audiobook or like watching like hours and hours of youtube videos about like mysteries and myths and and i'm really obsessed with uh conspiracy theories and things like that as well i just like to think through ideas and i like to have deep conversations with people i'm like one of those people that show up at parties and then just talk about like philosophy like (laughs) all night and i think people are just like can we just have fun and i'm like this is fun (laughs) so no i do i do think it is just my sort of need to like work through different ideas Okay, so in a in like a broader sense, um, what do you feel that art as a as a discipline? Um, what do you feel its goal should be? What do you feel it should be doing, um, especially like in sort of contemporary society? Um, I think art's always been just about like people expressing like ideas, and I think. Um, I think it should be speaking to everybody. I think it needs to really be um, challenging um, like the sort of worrying political ideas that are coming into um, view in the last couple of years. I think um, I think artists are usually the first people to like call out um, a lot of uh, problematic uh, politics and things like that. So I feel like it should be doing that. Um, I feel like it should be pushing progressive ideas and should be like really promoting um sort of i don't like the word diversity because it's overused but you know we need to be kind of making sure that everybody's voices are heard so i think art because it's kind of something that um everybody i think everybody should be able to walk into a, a space like a gallery and feel welcome there and i think that that's we've got a ways to go to make that possible and um, spaces like the V&A obviously like we want to make sure that everybody in Dundee can have access to that space and um, so like we need to make sure that every single gallery is like that you can go into a photography gallery and I don't know it's like almost this like hush hush like everybody has to be quiet everybody has to there's an et- etiquette that goes along with it and I feel almost that can stifle it a little bit I think that the, yeah. uh, there's very much like um, a traditional gallery environment with mm-hmm. whitewashed walls and yeah, exactly like silence. Yeah. But that, I mean, it comes down to how you set up that exhibition and how the work is um, displayed mm-hmm. and how the space feels. Um, and I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of conformity to that those traditions. Yeah. Um, and, I don't and I don't think that should go away completely. I think that it should just, I think contemporary artists need to kind of push that and challenge that a little bit more make more interactive work make more things that are kind of like yeah just giving people the opportunity to to feel like they can that there's a tangible quality to art as well because you're never allowed to touch it that's like one of the biggest things it's like don't touch the art um and i was like i love exhibitions where like you you know there's like i think there was one in um new york at one point where you can just like jump into a ball pit and that was like the exhibition or um I remember Ai Weiwei had an exhibition down in uh, in the Turbine Hall um, in London and it was uh, lots of like um, individually crafted um, uh, sunflower seeds. They weren't actually sunflower seeds, they'd been hand painted and you could you could go into the space and you could pick them up and you could like, you know, you could interact with them. The first couple of days people were actually running through them and things like that. I love those sort of exhibitions where... Um, you know, there are very heavy ideas being um, looked at there. He was looking at um, uh, Chinese labour and the way that 
the way that um, poorer communities are basically expected to make lots and lots and lots of things, he actually made a lot of people, like a lot of artisans, make a lot of individual um, sunflowers to illustrate that point. But um, yeah, I, I like I like things like that. My artwork isn't interactive like that. I'm, I've been thinking more about using video work and using projection and things like that to make things a little bit more interactive. But then um, the space you used as part of Glasgow International is mm-hmm. it's not a traditional gallery space. Yeah, yeah, subverting the sort of, uh, like, the the expectations of what you're expected to see in a space like that. Because it was, it, in, I mean, it was, it was in a swimming pool. It was right? in a massive swimming pool. <laughs> and it was, it was an incredible feeling to realise that, like, yeah, you can put art in different places. You can... It, it, was challenging to put the exhibition on because of the the sort of nature of the space um like we couldn't drill into the, the pool to which put was the, the the govan hill baths govan hill right? baths yeah. yeah um we couldn't drill into the walls and things like that so we had to find you know we had to be creative about how we were going to display the work in it um and then one of the most amazing things was obviously govan hill baths is a um very very like diverse community that's got like a lot of people from um, migrants from different places in the world there and um, it's obviously also been um, kind of a very like uh, what's the word it's been a neglected area of of Glasgow basically Um, and so you want children especially to be able to see artwork right and there was kids coming in to do a swimming lesson in the, that community centre and they were coming in to go to, the, they had to like go through the space to go to the toilet because there was like um, only really two toilets, one in the actual swimming pool area and then one in, in the area where we had our exhibition. And all these kids kept on coming through and basically dragging their parents into the pool to have a look at the work because they were like, what, what's this? So um, that was really amazing to see as well, to see young people engaging with it because they never seen anything like it before so to take a bit of a sidestep from art mm-hmm. um you recently started a, a podcast yeah um do you want to talk a bit about that and maybe your reasons for for getting it started yeah i kind of just, i wanted to make a podcast for like a year i just been like i really love podcasts i listen to them all the time but i kind of listen to podcasts more than music now um and i wanted to have a project that I could work on that was com- something completely different that wasn't um, wasn't art that could take take me into a new area like I've never never worked with sound before so I was like uh, let me just like acquire the skills to be like able to like do sound editing and everything and um, I'd got the full Adobe um, suite for like photography and film stuff and everything so I was like I've got audition now so let me like let's just do this and then my friend Matthew and I like we have these hilarious well we think they're hilarious conversations okay thanks Fred (laughs) good contribution to the podcast yep um so we have like these conversations that we think are absolutely hilarious and we're just like everyone wants to hear this it's really funny (laughs) and it's usually when we're drunk as well so um and, and they're deep conversations as well. They're not just us, like, you know, messing around. Sometimes we're having, like, deep philosophical So is this these, you've just basically taken the ones that you would have at the party and record them? And just recorded them, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so Matthew and I kind of, like, um, we'd worked on a project uh, that he had sort of come up with um, a, cu- a couple of years ago called Blurring the Binaries, which is a f- um, photography and fashion-based project looking at um, androgyny and um, the gender binaries and what what that means, like what gender means and um, how it's constructed and how it's performed. So we'd, we'd been working on that together for, yeah, probably about a year. And then I just was like, you know, I really want to do a podcast and we have these conversations all the time. Why don't we just record them? And then um, we did... I think about six or seven recordings and we were drink. we were always it's a drunk podcast so we're always drunk when we're doing them and like I when it came to editing them they were just like kind of a garbled mess they were really funny though they were hilarious but I was like oh like is this gonna work and then we we didn't really have a structure built into it yet um so 
we just started like writing properly for it and like making a proper structure, having proper segments for it and taking it seriously, which I didn't want to do at first. I wanted to just make it fun. I was like, in order for it to actually be a, a viable podcast, it does have to have structure. So um, once we built the structure in and because um, I I built like the, the website and like um, sort of did all, all of the sort of sound editing and um, sourced all of the, the um, equipment and everything like that. So I was feeling like, OK, I'm, I'm doing a lot here. So I feel like, you know, let's divvy up the sort of um, responsibilities. And then ever since Matthew started doing more of the writing, the content has become funnier and more, um, and I think more interesting as well. So like, he kind of does a lot of the writing and um, pr- preparation for the for for the um, for the podcast um, episodes, and then we just started like putting them out and uh, put them on our website, and they're hosted through iTunes as well. Uh, it's called FFN Podcast UK, and um, it's got a really controversial title. Um, I don't know if I should say it, but it's <laughs> it's from Fag and Negress, and um, it's because um, Matthew um, identifies as a, a, a gay fem, feminine man, and he basically um, he dresses uh, in clothes that would be traditionally considered to be women's clothes on a regular basis and things like that. But he um, still identifies as as a man. So we, um, so he he was basically calling calling himself the femme fag, and then obviously for obvious reasons I'm the the negress. Um, so that was I, I kind of thinking. We were thinking about um, reclaiming language that is usually used to um, to sort of put you down and to make you feel um, lesser than, and sort of wearing it um, to kind of uh, make it impossible for people to to use it against you basically and so that's become the, the sort of theme of the of the podcast the podcast is basically it's still a drunk podcast it's still really like us like getting drunk and talking about like um you know things that we find interesting in popular culture and things like that but it's basically um based on queer and black culture and um, we look a lot probably towards american um culture but we do also look at um things that are going on here as well Awesome. So um, if anyone wants to find that podcast, mm-hmm. uh, what's it called again? It's called FFN Podcast uh, UK. So it's ffnpodcastuk.com or um, sorry, .co.uk. And then uh, you can find it on iTunes um, under FFN Podcast UK. Okay. There is another FFN podcast. So that's why you have to put the UK on there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah cool um and if anyone wants to see your work mm-hmm. um or find you online um how do they do that okay so my website is actually just www.sakaimachachi.com very like easy if you know how to spell my name <laughs> <laughs> and then i have an instagram which is just at sakaimachachi they're all very difficult because my name is difficult but um, unique i'd imagine and and i feel like an artist's name I feel like it's always yeah. I, was, I was destined to be an artist because I've got <laughs> an interesting name, um, and also uh, for the podcast we've also got at ffn underscore uk. Forgot to give the Instagram for that. <laughs> and uh, you're exhibiting right now. Yeah, so I've currently got my work in an exhibition, which was actually um, it was a graduate show uh, a few years. I think it's like a year. A year on now, it was at St Andrew's Museum at first, and it's in the Fife Museums at the moment. So it's going to, it's been in Kirkcaldy for I think six months now. Um, the exhibition is called um, Ethics and Aesthetics, and it was basically a group of students who were studying um, museum curation and museum um, ethics, and they were basically made this project. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to Sakai for coming on and doing the podcast. I really hope I've said her second name right. If not, I apologise again. Um, if you haven't seen her work, definitely go and check that out. Um, all the links are in the show notes. Um, uh, you can also head along to our show that's open at the moment in Fife um, and go and check out our podcast. Um, it's great to hear more people starting up um, podcasts. And if you are thinking about it, um, do get in touch do give me a shout I have had a couple of people reach out um, I'm always open to sort of have a chat have a coffee um, 
it imparts some of the things I've learned over the last sort of two years. Um, yeah, so I mean, the easiest way to get in touch is at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram, and it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. If you drop me a message on one of those places, um, I'll get back to you and we can have a chat. But yeah, that's it. Um, for this week, we've got one more left in the block of six for these recordings, and that's with Louise Kirby. Um, so next week, we're going to talk about her part in the Penguin Trail and a whole load of other projects and things she's been doing. She's in, and yeah, so that's it for this week. Yeah, goodbye. Okay,